to participate in our brand new public affairs program once upon a time. Share with us your memories and touchstone events of your life, of your journey. Join us first and third Friday of the month from 11 to noon here on Kibu 90.7 FM and available online at kibu.fm. Consuelo is my name and I will be glad to hear from you and reminisce about your journey. Once upon a time, live in the air room here at KBU 90.7 FM. Share with us your memories, experience, and journey of your life. First and third Friday of the month, from 11 to noon, here at KBU 90.7 FM. KBU Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kbu.fm. KBU's Board of Directors meets on the fourth Monday of the month at 6 p.m. This month's meeting will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland and online through a public video conference. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting virtually can be found on our website at kbu.fm. Please visit our website to verify if a meeting is being held. Plugged in on KBU is a radio show dedicated to underground electronic music. The show is hosted by DJ Tronic and features Deep House, House, Tech House, Techno, Drum and Bass, Breakbeats, Future Bass, Down Tempo, and more. Plugged in frequently has local producers and DJs on the show, and we provide info about upcoming events in Portland, including free ticket giveaways. Plugged in airs the first and third Friday of every month from 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. Pacific Time. Hi, this is Judy Collins, and you're listening to KBOO in Portland. There's something missing, and I'm lit, and I got something to say. Good evening, you're listening to Transpositive here on KBOO Community Radio. Uh, tonight we are doing a current event show talking about transgender issues in the news. This is um, a show we do quite often. My name is Emma, I use she and her pronouns. 
My name is Jean. I'm glad to join the show. Uh, Happy New Year. I use she and her pronouns. Hi, I'm Sheila. She and her pronouns are fine for me also. Hi, I'm Nicolette. They, them pronouns. Great. Well, let's just check in first and just see how everybody's doing. It's been a while since we were all together. And then uh, we'll get into current Mm -hmm. events. Um, Why don't you start, Sheila? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, I'm getting lots of um, stuff doing with the different writing projects that I've got going and and an anthology on faith, um, which I uh, contributed something the other day. And I'm, lots of stuff is going on in Catholicism right now uh, about various issues, and so I might touch on some of that tonight. Great. And how are you doing, Nicolette? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. The holidays went great for me, and I'm very excited because I just got a new puppy. Yay, puppies. Mm -hmm. That's like the best thing. I know. (laughs) She's a real cutie. She's three months old. I heard rumors that she wasn't living at your house quite yet because of some mousies. Yeah, we're dealing with the mousies, and then that's dealt with, we'll have the puppy living with us. Oh, great. Hi, Jean. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing, you know, pretty well. I'm having some minor health issues, but um, that comes with my age. And, uh, but no, I'm, I'm happy, safe, warm, you know, I, I wish that for everyone who you know, can hear my voice. I hope that you can all find safe and warm and mm-hmm. like that. So no, I'm doing good. Oh, great. I'm, I'm doing good too. Um, the year has been rolling by very, very quickly. It's already the new year. Um, things are going really good at KBU right now. Uh, we have 13 staff and we're just about to hire our 14th staff person at KBU. So KBU is going to be fully staffed according to our collective bargaining agreement. And um, there's a lot of shows being produced at KBU right now. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm pretty excited. Um, we just need to raise a little bit more money to meet our budget and we'll be great. So, yeah. But in the world of transgender news, yeah, things aren't quite so good. Yeah, I mean, and, and are 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 they are they ever? But are they you ever? know, and and here's the thing, we are we're launching into yet another presidential election year, and the media stuff is just going to be horrific. That's my that's my you know the one bummer thing that I you know that bothers me is 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 that the election year is going to put us once again smack in the middle of a lot of uh, uh, conflict and contention and debate and it's just it's going to be stressful it is and it's it's been happening and it's it's getting it's getting really bad in some states like Florida. It's getting really bad. But anyways, yeah, let's talk about transgender news issues. Um, I'd like to start tonight. Um, I have a story, uh, transgender news issues, and it is uh, the story about Vanessa Joy. Uh, Vanessa Joy is a transgender candidate who was running for office in the state of Ohio, and she was just disqualified from the ballot for not including her dead name. Now, as you may know, a dead name, that's a name just in case, just in case you're not familiar with transgender issues, a dead name is a name that like was assigned to you at birth or given to you by someone other than yourself. And it's a name that you do not wish to use to refer to yourself. And uh, this woman, Vanessa Joy, had a dead name that apparently the state of Ohio required her to list on the ballot along with her trans, 
along with her name. So her name, which she chose for herself to reflect who she was as a person, the name that she's been going by for a period of time was not good enough to be, I mean, this is someone who qualified in every other way to be a candidate for office. And she was running for, um, she was running for the state house district 50 in Ohio. And apparently um, they told her that she was disqualified because she didn't include her dead name. Uh, There's a little known state law in the state of Ohio that says a candidate must provide any name changes within the last five years to qualify for the ballot. Uh, The law isn't currently listed on candidate requirement guidelines, so Vanessa Joy did not know that this law existed. Um, And she says that she would prefer not to use her dead name because, for one thing, it completely outs her as transgender to anyone who's looking her up in the state of Ohio, um, and that can be very traumatizing. Um, I don't know, would, you, would any of you care to comment on that? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's just ridiculous that this is still an issue, because, I mean, what if a married woman wants to run? Does she have to use her maiden name? I mean, it just makes no sense to require someone to use a previous name. There's no reason for it. Oh, that's a great thing you just brought up, because there's actually an exception to the law, and it's the one that you just said. If you uh, got married and you changed your name, you're not required to list your old name on the ballot. But if you're transgender, you still have to list your dead name. So it's specifically anti-transgender, then? They've, they're not even going to start the issue? Yeah, that's that's kind of how it looks it's it's called selective enforcement yeah that i yes i emma i think you nailed it right there it's called selective enforcement i seriously doubt that this is a new um piece of you know it's a blue law it's what's called a blue law um you know there are all kinds of laws that are on the books that just don't get enforced unless somebody you know wants to enforce them um, and you know, there is a logic that says, you know, um, I'll draw, I'm going to draw a, a, a very, you know, parallel, you know, example. Um, a company that uh, has been, you know, found to be, you know, fraudulent or whatever uh, in terms of consumer, uh, you know, business. Uh, can go bankrupt, change its name, could be back in business the very next day, right, in this country, the very next day under a different name. And so, you know, it's like, I think in terms of um, tracking an individual history, there's a logic to having a law. You know, the thing is that this is being selectively enforced. That would be my point. That's a great point, Jane. According to um, Malloy, let's see, according to Sean Malloy of the LGBTQ plus Victory Fund, this is a case of selective enforcement, and it follows a trend that has been happening in conservative states this year where lawmakers are specifically targeting transgender legislators or people running for office. And probably the most uh, prominent example of that in the last year has been the silencing of Zoe Zephyr. You may remember the case of Zoe Zephyr, who was a transgender lawmaker from Montana, who was blocked from speaking on Montana's House floor after she said that her colleagues had blood on their hands for passing legislation that banned gender-affirming care for minors. So when Zoe Zephyr said that, the Montana State Legislature banned her from the state legislature because they said that she had violated some sort of rule for 
criticizing her fellow state legislators. The point that she was making in her statement was that their actions were going to contribute to uh, to suicides of transgender youth who were going to commit suicide because they couldn't get gender affirming care because the same state legislators that just banned Zoe Zephyr from the Montana state legislator are also the same people who banned these transgender youth from getting gender affirming care. So it's just um, another example of legislators in a conservative state trying to silence transgender voices. Um, in this case, uh, this also follows on the heels in the state of Ohio of um, an effort by the state. Uh, the state legislature in Ohio actually passed legislation that would ban transgender youth from seeking gender-affirming care and from participating in sports in the state of Ohio. Uh, that ban that was passed by the state legislature was vetoed by the governor of Ohio but it doesn't say anything good about the state legislature because the state legislature apparently is willing to also sacrifice the health and emotional safety of transgender youth. So, yeah. yeah, I saw that story as well, Emma, and it appears that it's very likely given the nature of the legislature that that veto will be overridden um, but that's all, you know, deep internal political maneuvering. But, it, you know, one of the upbeat parts of that story, um, not to shift from, you know, where we were with the candidate, but uh, is that the governor did veto that. I think that's, I think that that was one of the best pieces of news that I've read in the last week, you know. Sheila, I would like to hear Sheila's um, perspective as a, you know, somebody with a, a, a good legal background in terms of the application, uh, you know, blue law type application uh, of the candidate story. I kind of like to act as the kind of resident philosopher. <laughs> um, I think it's really important to do a general assessment of where we're at as a community, but also where the nation is at right now. Uh, we're, we are not the only targets right now. Uh, all kinds of stuff is on, is on the burners. Uh, what you're allowed to say and what you're not. Let me just give you a couple quick examples. Uh, the a woman of color was just fired for being, uh, at, at, although she is the president of Harvard, which is try to think about what it takes to get into Harvard, then try to think what it is to be on the faculty of Harvard, then try to think what it is to be the president of Harvard, then try to think what it is to be the very first black woman president, as far as I know, at Harvard and then to be fired because, because she was put on a hot seat and basically said, do you think that if anyone says that genocide is permissible to the Jewish people, that they should be kicked out of Harvard for that? And immediately what the testimony showed her, I believe, saying was she said, if it's only speech, in other words, she was trying to contextualize it, saying, if it's only speech that we're dealing with here, usually we demand some sort of overt conduct or, you know, the context in which the statement was uttered is likely to result in immediate harm because she was going back to the idea of you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. She was looking at it in a free speech context. Instead, she was put under huge pressure and had to resign over this thing. And the question immediately that occurred to me was to say, 
uh, do you know what it would take to take somebody who has been admitted to Harvard and literally expel them in the middle of their educational career? Do you know what a seat in Harvard in the student body actually costs in terms of sacrifice even to get there? What, what burden of proof is going to be brought forward that the person even said these things? And what if it was just done in a moment of, of momentary anger? What if it was done in a way to simply draw a parallel between a hypothetical genocide for the Jewish people versus an actual genocide that we get to hear on the news every single day that's going on in Gaza? So this is an example of the kind of things that are going to be coming up in 2024. So let's now recontextualize it, put it back to trans people. Trans people are always going to be targets in one way or the other, whether it's selective enforcement, whether it's simply an inability to understand the clinical context of our lives or to see our lives as a life course um, on the dead name issue. Do we ever, do we expect that trans people should have to give up half of them either to, to make that half disappear name that was attached to it? What if there were certain covenants under that name that cannot into another name. Should the transgender person, in order to maintain their present visibility and integrity with their new identity, have to give all that up as though it never happened? See, there's so many things that are in play with words, and the thing that always gets us is what are called category errors. And category errors are something that you see in sociology where you take, take a statement out of one context and you transpose it into another context and presume that it retains the same meaning even though you've transferred it into a whole new realm. And so I've always tried to take our experience and keep it in the personal and the clinical realm, not because I like to see our lives medicalized, but because what I like to see is I like to say that people need to understand what we go through. And instead, what's happened with politics is it's been seen as, a, as an issue involving categories that impinge on other people's genders. So the assumption is if someone is transgender, that relativizes everybody else's gender. And so if, if for us to question our gender means that somehow they have to question theirs. And there's simply no causality factor there. There's no reason why us being us means they can't be them. And that's the one thing that seems to be coming up again and again and again. And I heard it on a Meet the Press the other day. And the governor, I believe it was, of, of Utah was asked the question about how do you feel about this barring of, of, of some sort of clinical response to transgender youth? And what, what, what the governor said is, well, we're, you've got us all wrong. We're really just trying to protect these people from experimental doctors. Well, this mythology, somehow these little, uh, you know, wannabe Nazi doctors that are experimenting with our youth, I, I think that's ridiculous. I, I think that says that there's no way that the medical profession can be self-policing and take care if that was actually going on. Instead, it looks like the, the majority of associations are saying, no, this is a very serious issue and we're doing the best we can. Maybe we haven't done all the research, but to find one paper that says, or to say that Sweden, for instance, has dropped their transgender clinics means that we must do so also. How do we know why Sweden did that? There could be so many other factors. There could be questions of, does the state pay for it? There could be questions of domestic Swedish politics that we have no awareness of. But to, instead what they do is they do a body count. They say, well, how many, how many countries are, have dropped transgender? I say, well, what if half of them are in Africa? In Africa, we're lucky if we don't get you know, thrown into prison for being transgender. So I would write, write, write all of those countries off as being biased per se. So this is the kind of thing, and it's against that context that our individual problems arise. Well, thank you, Sheila. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, You're welcome. In other news in uh, the United States, uh, Florida Republican lawmaker, this is from The Advocate, Florida Republicans propose erasing transgender identities. Have you all read this story or heard about this? 
I haven't. Go ahead and share it. <clears throat> um, a Republican Florida lawmaker wants the state to not acknowledge any recognition of transgender identity. Um, according to the advocate, this is considered the most sweeping anti-transgender bill filed in the country. It's called the What is a Woman Act, and it would eliminate the term transgender. It would eliminate the term gender from any government document, including driver's licenses, and require instead for people to be listed according to their sex assigned at birth. So it would erase any programming that serves transgender people. It would eliminate the idea of transgender or any kind of gender identity language from any government documentation for any state office, for any, uh, any kind of state services, anything at all in the whole state that, that like refers to gender identity would be, you know, deemed to be illegal speech and it would not be allowed in the state of Florida. Um, according to the advocate, this could have huge impact not only on the transgender community, but also on intersex and non-binary people um, because apparently they would have to declare that they're either male or female or they would just do that according to even if they were incorrectly assigned at birth that way. So, um, yeah, that's what's Again, going on that on. as an example, this this is exactly the thing that I was just saying in more general terms. The assumption is that if you can make words disappear, then the phenomenon disappears at the same time. And the thing that I always ask myself is I say, do you really think that transgender people that go through so much in their lives will suddenly disappear because you've removed the normal Sure. It, here, let me give you an example of that. Let's just say that you said, uh, what, we're, what we'll do, we're, we're really upset. It's really hurting Florida that we have alligators in Florida. So what we're going to do is we're not, you're not allowed to ever say the word alligator or anything even resembling alligator. You can't even say big scaly lizard. Uh, would that eliminate all the alligators in Florida? I don't think so. And so this is the, but here's the scary part. There are precedents for this. The Nuremberg Laws that came out in 1933 in Germany, the very first thing they did was they started selectively saying, if you're Jewish, you cannot be both Jewish and a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer. And all these various things you could not be because they were now seen as mutually exclusive categories. You could be a doctor or you could be Jewish, but you couldn't be both at the same time. Well, this is exactly what they're doing. And what's scary is the only way that you can make nonsense if you enforce it with violence. And this is how you pay mission camps. You don't get there overnight. You start with something that looks innocuous, but behind it, there is the example of history that tells us where this leads. And this is, uh, so this is on the heels of four very public, I think that a lot of people are aware of, laws that have been passed in Florida uh, ever since Ron DeSantis declared himself as a candidate for president. Uh, one of those was a ban on gender-affirming care for minors. Um, another one was a ban on drag performances. Uh, there's also a ban on uh, public bathrooms being um, uh, a new law that says that you have to use the bathroom that matches your birth certificate in Florida. And then uh, this is the most recent one. And then, of course, there was also, outside of transgender issues, there was the don't say gay bill which is also passed in Florida. Um, this bill doesn't have a companion in the Senate, so it's probably not going to go anywhere. So that's good. Um, probably the worst part about the bill is that it actually requires insurance companies to re re to offer... It requires that all insurance companies provide detransitioning services as part of their policy 
as part of their health care policy. So it requires that health insurance companies provide uh, detransitioning. So, um, you, you see the problem with that is that to do that type of therapy is to go against all the recommendations of the professional association. So what they would ask to be ask a doctor to do is they'd say, in order to be a doctor in Florida, you have to violate the norms that would be applied to you in other states that don't have this legislation. Well, what kind of position does that put a doctor in? And then if you do something like Idaho and say, if you actually do some of these surgeries under the right conditions, in other words, put it to a minor, even though it's seldom done, if you do that, you will lose your license. And, it's a, or, and uh, in some states, it's lose your license. In some, it's simply a felony. Well, a felony, how bad can it get? So these are the kinds of things that we're seeing. And I, I want to say something very interesting here. The German word for, for, for essentially to annihilate something or destroy something is called vernichtung, which means to make something nothing. And, and I think that's a far more descriptive term of what they're trying to do. They're saying, we have transgender people, but what we will do is if we can erase the category, we can erase the people. And to pretend that there isn't violence behind that, I think is naive, because we can see examples all over the place where people are being reduced to nothing daily. And, and, and all you have to do is put the right term on it. I hate to say this, but the idea that the right of Israel to defend itself is unquestionable. The right of Israel to defend itself by killing 23,000 Gazans is not acceptable. And look at the difference. So it all depends on what terminology you apply to the same action as to how you view it. Yeah, thank you. Would anybody else care to comment on the Florida law? The Florida legislation? Yes, I will. Um, this is, number one, it's not surprising to me that this would um, first be flown in Florida. Um, but what I see going on here is a continuation of the pattern that has happened now over the last, well, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years, uh, that uh, we will begin to see similar language in state legislatures in other places that have uh, embraced, uh, you know, an anti-trans um, out, outlook. Uh, so this is a trial balloon, and it's actually kind of an interesting trial balloon from a legal perspective. Um, and uh, so it's going to be inter interesting to watch, but my prediction is that we will begin to see similar language, very similar language, uh, in in any number of other state legislatures. Uh, this is not limited to Florida. This is a nationwide, um, very, you know, purposeful um, move by uh, the interests that uh, want to annihilate us and. So, you know, yeah, here we go. You know, it's like, it's not just kids in sports. This is, this is taking it to a whole new level. And we're going to see this pop up in any number of places now. You, Nicolette, did you have anything to share? Um, I mean, just if, if you're asking uh, for my comments on that article, yeah, hell is a real place and it's called Florida, that's why it's so hot there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it, like, like all of you have been saying, they're trying to erase our very existence, they're trying to silence us, but 
we're not going away. We're not going to be silent. That's why we have this show is because we are speaking out. They, they can't silence us. They can't make us go away. Did you have any news stories you wanted to share, Nicola? Yes. Um, I would like to um, talk about this article from, from the Human Rights Campaign. Um, the HRC remembers Megan Riley Lewis, a transgender woman who devoted her life to feeding hungry and unhoused queer people. On December 27, 2023, Megan Riley Lewis a 57-year-old transgender woman well-known in her community for her activism for transgender rights was killed in Bel Air, Maryland. Lewis's death is at least the 31st violent killing of a transgender or gender non-conforming person in 2023. We say at least because too often these deaths go unreported or misreported. Lewis was shocked by a food delivery person following a verbal altercation that turned physical. The shooter waited nearby for law enforcement and surrendered himself upon arrival. Despite attempts to save Lewis by emergency responders, she ultimately passed away after being taken to the hospital. Lewis was well known in her community for transgender activism. She founded a patient trans uh, she founded a patient support group for trans individuals coming to Baltimore for life-saving surgery, and she was devoting her life to feeding hungry and unhoused queer people wrote activist Aaron Reed in the Tribute Online blog. Um, friends also remember her by her catchphrase, Stay Sparkly. Lewis is survived by her two children. Uh, from Tori Cooper, Director of Community Engagement for HRC's Transgenders uh, Justice Initiative, the death of any transgender person is heartbreaking for our community and the loss of Megan will undoubtedly leave a hole in the hearts of so many people who go benefited from her work. Our hearts go out to Lewis's loved ones as they grapple with this immeasurable loss. And that was an article written by Catherine Smith of the Human Rights Campaign. Um, thanks so much for sharing that, Nicolette. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it didn't get into everything about, there's a couple of things about the story I think that are especially worth highlighting. Um, Lewis was misgendered by the food delivery driver uh, who called her a man and used he and him pronouns with Lewis. Uh, Lewis came up to the driver and corrected him, and that led to a verbal altercation where the food delivery driver then shot and killed her, and uh, that driver has been charged with murder. So, um, <clears throat> apparently, the penalty for correcting somebody uh, for misgendering you, and what state was that in? Uh, oh, that was in that was, Maryland. Uh, yeah, that was in Maryland. Yeah, apparently some people think it's okay to murder somebody who uh, corrects you for misgendering them. It's a stupid reason to kill somebody. And uh, Lewis was, I think you got to this, Lewis was the 24th person murdered in 2023 who was transgender. So does anybody, would anybody like to share anything about that story? Do they have any? Just a quick thought. I think that the reason that kind of thing happens, and it happens often, is because transgender people once they, I used to use the analogy of a passport. If you give up one passport until you give a, get another passport, you can't essentially transition across nation-state boundaries because you, you're a non-person until you're first recognized in one, and then you get a visa to go to the other. Well, what I was always looking for in my early transition was a, a question of what is it like when you step into another role that simply is not recognized. And this, when I began all this, this was before the, even the word transgender was even known outside of talk shows. So what's really intriguing is that when I gave up my passport and walked into the world, I walked into non-being. The idea was I, I don't even exist. There wasn't even a category, even a derogatory category, except that I became gay by default. And I remember going to the state capitol in Washington one day, 
and there was a, a, a huge group that was there because we were, we were trying to lobby for uh, the very first bill to recognize transgender rights in Washington. And, and this guy came up to me with all of his surroundings and he, his term for me was, you're a freak of nature. And so when I told him, I said, okay, let's just work with that, shall we? I'm a freak of nature. Is there anything in your religion that deals with recognition of people that, let's say, leprosy, let's say, impoverishment? Is there anything in the Gospels anywhere there that you can see where there's a certain duty towards the outsider? Uh, is there anything that you want to now say to me? I say, let's just put me that. Uh, let's just uh, let's just accept the category. What is your duty to freaks of nature? In other words, I turned it back on him and said, and I was trying to with the old uh, idea of the reductio ad absurdum. I say, in order to come after me, you have to deny everything that you're supposedly about. And what's interesting is he lost his audience right there. You could just see that the other kids were embarrassed that he was their leader at that moment. So those were the line of techniques. Those used to be called zaps in the old uh, gay lib days, which was you turn everything right back. You make the injustice evident by calling the person on it and embodying it. Um, according to USA Today, um, Megan uh, invited strangers into her home uh, just uh, four days earlier, invited strangers into her home on Christmas Day, hoping to ease the pain of loneliness and loss, which was felt by many people during the holidays, including transgender people who often feel alienated from friends and society. So it sounds like she was a very outgoing, very nurturing person who really cared about her community. Um, it sounds like she was also a mentor for people who were going through gender reassignment surgery. Uh, she would work with them and offer them uh, support while they were going through the procedure and also helped them out afterwards. And uh, she offered support for people outside of the queer community too. Um, so it sounds like she was somebody who really dedicated her life to uh, service and to helping other people. And um, she just, uh, she has so many reports in the news that uh, just speak nothing but good about her and the people whose lives she touched. So just a shame. You know, what a stupid reason to kill somebody just because you didn't like that they corrected you for misgendering them. It well, is. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it is absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's always heartbreaking every time a trans person is killed, but especially someone who it sounds like she was a very warm, loving and caring person. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no, that's good. Um, in other transgender news, uh, USA Boxing has updated its rule books uh, to include strict transgender athlete policies. So so here's the thing. Many, many studies have been done on whether there is any sort of biological advantage for trans women after puberty. And what they found is once trans women have gone through HRT, um, especially once they've been on it for a year or more, they don't have any biological advantage anymore they're on the same level as a cis woman so you know that's why at the olympics they um require testosterone testing um or hormone testing for everyone in the women's division and even cis women if their testosterone levels are a little too high they have to undergo hrt before they'll be allowed to compete and i think that's fair if it applies to everyone that's what I think is that is that if they really wanted to do this, they could degenderize it. Let's just look at some examples. If you're in a golf tournament uh, and you're an amateur, you use a handicap based upon your usual scores. If there, if you're a boxer, there are various weight classifications. There's so many ways that you could go about this without 
even inquiring into somebody's gender. But it's an example of how we have divided everything having to do with male and female all the way down the line. And I'll give you another example. For years, it was considered that women just could not be lawyers because there was something about the female brain that obviously could not possibly go through law school. And so uh, the, the idea that we can either selectively disempower or presume a power that's non-existent just because someone's male, I think that's, 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 that's clearly an example of a category error again, is taking something that really should be irrelevant. There's, there are very tiny men that are not under female hormones or sex reassignment, but there's no way that they could ever, ever play at the same sports level with some gigantic guy from a football team. It's just not this, it's just not the same. So there's so many better ways to do this, but that's what I call a phony issue. They bring it up and especially they bring it up always with regard to men and they use this phrase, men in girls' bathrooms. So, so let me, I, I, every time they say that, I want to stop them and say, wait a second, you're saying men, therefore over age 21, are going into girls, therefore, in high school bathrooms. I said, no, these are boys in girls' bathrooms, maybe. That might work, but it, it would lose the edge of sexual assault of saying they really, it's not about sports, it's that they want to somehow get into the girls' bathrooms. And it's the, it's the hidden message. Uh, and this is why language is so important. So actually why we insist on pronouns, because how we structure things linguistically is how you recreate a different world. I think that's all fair. I mean, and I support what everybody's saying. I'm not trying to... Um, I, I just think that there's not... I don't think there's enough research. I don't think there's been enough studies yet on this issue. Um, I mean, I think that there's some really... Um, there's some things that I know that the right wing has used against like all transgender people and they've been used as bans on transgender people transgender kids participating in sports which is just terrible i mean we've done shows we've had shows on like where we've done entire shows dedicated to having people who advocate for you know kids inclusion in sports and how important it is to their mental health that kids be allowed to participate in sports let me give you one example of my of my methodology from from women's gymnastics and women's figure skating. Um, in the old days, a triple a triple axle was an unbelievable thing. Uh, now, if you can't do a quad, you're really it really it really affects your you should be able to do a quad if you really want to win the Olympics. Well, that means you have to spin four times around and get on the axle. And you can't do that with a big body. You have to have a body to do that. It doesn't matter how strong you are. You can't rotate that fast. So should there be a rule to say a weight classification for young female skater that says if, you're, if you weigh a certain amount, you should get some extra points because you can't possibly do a quad. And another example of this is women's gymnastics. Remember the Romanian uh, gymnastics team used to do just basically kick everybody's butt. But almost all of these young women looked very, very, very tiny. And again, they could do things on four exercise and on the uneven parallel bars and everything else that you just can't do with a bigger body. And it shows up in the scores. So if they really want to be consistent about this, that's how they could do it. Even within the gender categories, they could make finer grid count. And that tells me what you're looking at. It's a pseudo issue. Yeah. 
I, I think all that I'm trying to say is that I think that like anything else in life, there's room for nuance and it's okay if not everything is completely black and white. Like it's okay to say that for 99% of the situations, it should completely be like your gender identity is the sport that you is is what you compete in so your gender identity is your gender that you play sports in but that maybe it doesn't have to be 100% maybe there's a little bit of room for nuance in that just in cases where there's a matter of fairness that might be real I guess that's all I'm trying to say sorry I was going to say I think we can all agree that the recent um, international chess uh, what was it uh, the International oh, yeah. Chess Foundation um, uh, policy to basically ban trans people from competing was ridiculous. Oh, like, totally. Trans women weren't allowed to compete in the women's division, but neither were trans men. So, yeah. I'm, like, I'm sorry, how does that make any sense? What, what's <laughs> different about their brains? I don't know. No. Yeah, my my last my last boss was like so good at chess. I mean, she was like a chess genius, and uh, yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, I don't think that has any. Yeah, I think Yosha uh, Iglesias was that her name. I want to mention about how at one time Jackie Robinson, the the famous uh, baseball player was one of the first people to break into Major League Baseball. The idea was that Major League Baseball did not hire black players. And that maybe they would be better players, or whether it was the idea that they don't belong in the same uh, changing rooms, or if they go on the road, they can't stay in the same hotels. But it's the same thing. This is what I want to say, that this isn't the first time sports has been the place where at first had to establish their legitimacy because once you're categorically excluded, the, the real narrative, that's what I want to get back to, the real narrative is, is, is put forward as a matter of fairness, but that's not what's really at stake. What's really at stake is the idea we don't want to be with you. That's what discrimination means. Well, in the meantime, the good news is that more transgender people than ever are running for state legislatures, they're running for political office, and we're out there and we're more visible than we've ever been, and we're not going back into any closet. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. We're out here and we're here to stay. So in spite of the bad news that we read today, uh, there's still so much good news out there. And Transgender Day of Visibility is coming up in a couple months. That's something to look forward to. And uh, we're going to be visible and we're going to be even more out than we ever were. So we're just about out of time. Uh, does anybody have any final thoughts that they'd like to share? I, I guess I would just like to reiterate that we are not going anywhere. We will not be silenced and we will not be erased. We're here and we're proud. Well, thank you very much. You've been joining us today for Trans Positive here on KBOO Community Radio. Uh, we've been joined tonight by Jean, Nicolette, Sheila, and myself, Emma. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you in two weeks. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Thanks. Transgender people don't live here. I've never met anyone who's transgender. I swear I don't know someone who's transgender. Transgender and non-binary people like me hear this all the time. But according to the HRC Foundation, there are more than 2 million transgender people in the United States. We live in every community across this country. You might be surprised to hear that there are more transgender and non-binary people in the United States than there are. Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart locations combined. In fact, if you put us all together, there'd be more non-binary and transgender folks than the populations of DC, or Nebraska, or Maine, or Idaho, or West Virginia. As a matter of fact, 15 states have a lower population than the amount of trans folks in the U.S. So here are a few things to keep in mind. 
You don't always know when a person is trans. But we're your neighbors, your co-workers, your students, your customers, and even your friends and family. We exist in every culture, todas culturas, throughout human history. And while we're more visible than ever before, sometimes you just don't see us. So when you hear about politicians pushing forward discriminatory bills, know this, these bills address problems that aren't even real. Problems that don't actually exist. But we do. 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 And we need your support. Do you want to meet a family with a transgender kid? Here we are. Max loves to do backflips. Max loves to play his ukulele. Max loves to just be a kid and just be himself. When I found out I was pregnant, all I really wanted was a happy, healthy, whole child. And that's what I got. If you've never met a transgender child before, what I want you to know is that that child is no different than yours. They have the same hopes and dreams and deserve the same equality as your child does. We tell our kids as often as we can that we love them in as many ways as possible. There are some politicians who are trying to tear my family apart simply because my son is transgender. Trans kids don't have a political agenda. They are just kids. They just want to be left alone. My family's just like yours. We love our kids unconditionally and we will never stop fighting for them. Stand with us. Protect our families. Hi, this is Emma. Um, I am a co-host of Trans Positive, and I'm also the current president of the board of directors here at KBU. At KBU, we prove every day that people-powered radio has the ability to bring us together across distances and give us hope when we feel despair. Your friends at KBU want to remind you that generosity has the same power. Join thousands of KBU supporters from all around the world, and let's rally together to build stronger communities. If you can, just go to kboo.fm slash give or text kboo to this number 44321. And thanks so much for your support of KBOO Community Radio. Imagine waking up one day and feeling like something is off. You get up and go wash your face off in the bathroom. Look up at the mirror and discover that you aren't in your own body. These feelings and this confusion is felt by transgender people around the world every day as they struggle to understand why they were placed in the wrong body and how they can fix it. This struggle adds so much extra stress and anxiety to their daily life that it can become too much to carry. Suicide, specifically transgender suicide, is a massive issue throughout the world. From an online survey of just over 2,014 to 18 year olds, 
They found that transgender adolescents had higher rates of suicidal ideation, plans, attempts, and attempts requiring medical care compared to cisgender teens. In another survey, over 50% of transgender female-to-male teens attempted suicide and 29.9% of transgender male-to-female teens attempted suicide. Every year, thousands of transgender teens commit or attempt suicide. The thing is, with just a bit of support and help from their peers and families, the rate of suicide drops drastically. In one study, they found that overall social support was in fact associated with reduced suicide risk. Anything from checking on them, asking if they need help or to talk about something when they seem to be acting differently, or even just telling them that you can be there for them, helps so much. Through asking for their pronouns, making sure they feel comfortable in places you hang out at, or just by giving them a quick compliment every now and then. Through the tiniest bit of support, even you can help drop the rates of transgender suicide. Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH, Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR, Hood River on 91.9 FM. Cable Community Radio is a proud media sponsor of an Oregon story, saving our beaches, farmland, and more. Screening from January 17th through January 31st across multiple venues in Portland and beyond. This film documents the history of Oregon's efforts to protect its coastline and save its farmland from urban sprawl. The documentary features archival footage and interviews with the individuals who helped create Oregon's land use planning program and defended it for the past 50 years. Again, that's a documentary film screening of an Oregon story, saving our beaches, farmland and more. From January